0: Welcome to the Talk of the Tea town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom. Welcome to the Talk of the Tea town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom, and I am joined today by a person who is a, a, one of the the people I miss the most about living in the Lehigh Valley. Um, It is my very, very good friend, Joanne Trimpey. And as I was thinking about this podcast this week, I realized that there is not a more perfect, I don't know, sample example, Uh, idea of uh, the perfect tea time athlete than Joanne Trimpe. Um, Joanne has a background in chemical engineering, her MBA, and she's a major accounts manager for Air Products, which is, of course, one of the longest standing uh, supporters of the velodrome. Uh, But Joanne's also a that makes Joanne a badass um, because Joanne became a chemical engineer when chemical engineers weren't women. And so I, I feel like Joanne is the trailblazer in a lot of ways. Um, Joanne came to track racing via our community programs and the corporate challenge, if I'm not mistaken, um, and really decided that she liked track racing. Um, and so started pursuing it. Uh, we'll talk more about Joanne's accomplishments on the track. But first, um, yeah, Joanne, welcome to the podcast. Like I said, you are our poster child for for a success story at T Town. So we're delighted to have you on the pod. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here and I'm very excited.
0: Um, so so Joanne, I I yeah, like I was excited to talk to you mostly because you know, we're friends and I haven't, you know, talked to you in a while since I moved. And as I was thinking about this podcast, I I really did realize like, we have this goal of 50-50 participation at the track by uh, 2025. Um, we have really amazing community programs supported by our products, which is your employer. Uh, you came in through these programs. Um, and so the more I thought about it, the more I realized you were really the perfect guest for the podcast, even though it had nothing to do with why I originally wanted to have you on the pod, because we'll get to that part of the story as well. But um but yeah, like you really, truly are a shining example of what can happen at programs. So uh, yeah, so I think that's extra cool. Um, the real reason we originally started talking about this podcast though is that you had um, some some heart issues that came on the tail, of an absolutely incredible season at the track last summer so let's get in the time machine and woo, go back in time um during the 2020 season we did um a whole lot of time trial events and you were a regular um and you were starting to really um make some some leaps i think in in the events we were offering so start there with with Go take us to 2020 and what you were doing in 2020 at the track when we were really just doing time trial events and your coaching program and then we're going to talk a little bit about how that evolved into the 21 season. Um, so yeah, start with start with 2020 and tell us about what you did in in the COVID year to sort of up your game.
1: Sure. Um, so so. You know, up until 2020, I really hadn't focused on time trials. You know, I I didn't consider myself as very very good at them. Um, uh, but I, but you know, I hadn't done a whole lot of them other than maybe at regionals. Uh, I think I did some of those when uh, when nationals was were in T town a few years prior to that. Um, you know, but I didn't I didn't you know I placed pretty low. Uh, it wasn't really my focus, but um, the fact that we had time trials going on at, at uh, our local T-Town Velodrome gave me an opportunity to really start to focus on that. And that's what 2020 was all about. And I thank you guys you know, tremendously for, for doing that because um, I then was able to start looking at my times, the splits. Uh, that, that uh, were recorded. I could look and see you know how was my start, how was uh, my first lap, et cetera, and started to be able to analyze and, and get that feedback that I hadn't really had before. And so by being able to do those more and more, um, you know I started to see that I was improving. I started to see that um, you know what gear changes meant. Um, and then as we went into 2021, um, you know, I I have to say my, my 2k, I would, I focus on the 500 and the 2k and my 2k, um, had been pretty good. You know, I was able to get under three minutes, which I was very happy with. Uh, but in 2021, I started to improve on my 500 as well. And, and then was able to really focus on the areas that I, um, Felt I, I needed some improvement on it with my coach. And so that data, um, i I'm, you know, being an engineer, I'm very data driven. I have spreadsheets. Um, I, you know, was able to start keeping track of those times and um use that feedback along with my coach to to really help me and set me up for 2021.
0: So you work with Kim Geist, um mm-hmm. who obviously um, in addition to being a regular consistent coach at t-town uh a pretty accomplished athlete herself um and she has a I, I think a very analytical brain as well um so did you guys literally sit down and, and go through your spreadsheet together and say hey these times are doing this this is where i'm identifying potential this is where i'm I, i'm identifying areas for improvement this is where i'm saying maybe this maybe maybe the 200 is not the event for me like did you go through it in that level of detail the, or, you know, and start making targets for the 21 season? um, Or were you just broadly analyzing your efforts and just identifying room for improvement? Because I'm teasing up what a stellar summer you actually had at the track in 21.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't really go into, I didn't really sit down with her and and, um, uh, go through, you know, my analysis of of the data, uh, but, Kim would have, uh, regular track sessions, you know, workouts for her athletes. And so when we would, uh, be there, we, you know, we'd talk about things and, and as I got into 2021, you know, I could see that, you know, And she what's funny is, you know, when I would do women's Wednesdays or, um, when we would do some of the workouts, uh, you know, and we do standing starts, um you know, my comment to her, it was, oh, I need to do more of these. And she'd just come back. Yes, you do. (laughs) And so, you know, Kim, Kim will. um, She's very direct. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't mince words. She doesn't. um, She says things very succinctly. uh, And she will tell you exactly what, you know, what she thinks Um, there's there's um, you know and i value that as as an athlete and and that has been very helpful and um so when we came into 2021 and i could see that uh you know when i compared myself um to other athletes i could see that my standing start needed needed work especially on the 500 because you know it, it's um it's maybe not as important in the 2k but it's definitely important in the shorter uh shorter time trials um, so we started to in 2021 um, when my my 500 started to, to look better um, i realized that uh, in order to continue to improve i really need to work on my standing start so we started doing some separate sessions um to, to improve on that and you know so so uh, uh there were a couple of us who were Working on that, and we got together and and uh, had Kim uh, put on some sessions for us to to work separately, specifically on our standing starts.
0: Cool. I, I just think that's amazing that you know you were, yeah, you were taking these initiatives and and really breaking down such a data driven approach. I I you know, to me that makes so much sense, and I think it's smart and. I think sometimes people think that is purely the realm of the elite elite and for our listeners joanne is a master's athlete um you know joanne is not aspiring to to make the olympic team in 2024 so <laughs> i i just but I, I i i personally love that you take the same approach right that you 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 approach it the same way um because it's what you care about it's what your passion is it's what you know where you're diverting all of your you know your your non-professional energies right this is your your your, your hobby, your love, the thing you do. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I just appreciate that attention to detail and that commitment and um, the analytical mind is, is pretty cool. So over the summer in 21, you raced really consistently at the track. You were racing some Tuesdays and you know the Saturdays, the masters and rookies, the, the Tuesday night racing. Um, and you know, more and I could definitely, I think, see every week that there was improvement being made. We could see that you were you were going pretty well and um, and that consistency of racing surely was paying off in addition to the training. And then we got to Master's Nationals. And um, you kind of cleaned up. Uh, which was super cool. How, was it five medals? Joanna? It was four,
1: four. My oh. my four individual events, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so four medals, and how many of those were gold? All of them. All four. All four. <laughs> I was all four, and I got to give them all to you, which was amazingly fun. Like, it started to become ridiculous, right? I was like, I get to give them all <laughs> So you. So for our listeners, There's a little bit of like jockeying for who gets to give the medals out at at national championships. Um, My colleague Kelly Bertoni always wanted to give the medals to the to the edge athletes, obviously, because her husband runs the edge program. And then I was like, I get to give Joanne her medal. Absolutely. (laughs) so there was always a little bit of jockeying for for people when 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 it came to the medal ceremony time for who got to give who the medals and so i was always like joey and i get to do yeah that was uh, that
1: was the cherry on top of the you know top of the cake
0: that for me it was certainly fun but the thing that stood out to i think maura and i were both watching um your pursuit um your individual pursuit and we could see you were going fast And I, I remember more and I was standing there, you know, trackside watching, we were cheering for you. Like we were, we were really cheering for you. And Kim was just slightly further down the track, like by the bridge, like yelling times um, or, or watching times. And I'm looking at Kim and our listeners can't see my face, but I'm like, I was looking at Kim going, she's going you know like we were like and uh and and Kim was like I know and we were so excited because we could see it and obviously we had the time too because we have live timing so we knew you were on a good time and it was so fun to watch like you just smashed it um and so and that's you know that's a hard event that is that is that's a legit hard long effort um I mean long for track not long for story, <laughs> but, you know, like that's yeah, everything's a, that's, relative yeah everything's relative and so tell us about the pursuit because I just remember Kim's face like we were like oh my god she's smashing it so um yeah tell us about that effort
1: yeah so um so I knew you know I was up against uh Paula Froak who's you know who's been who had been nipping at my heels I think all season and, and she and I have been you know head to head in in um uh you know in, in mass starts, um you know it, just just through all of 21 and and she just is a powerhouse. So I, I knew that um I had I had uh basically I had cleaned up also at Northeast Regionals, but I had gone against her for all all four of the events there and it was not easy. Um, and uh so i was I was matched with with Paula for the two k. So I knew, you know, I really had to bring my a game, you know to, uh, that day. And it was the first event. I was nervous as all get out. Um, and uh, you know, and as I got into it, um, you know, I had uh, there had been something that occurred to me had had happened uh, during Northeast Regionals that uh, the first day um, we had the the mass starts, and that was in August. Um, we had the mass starts first, and then we had the time trials on the second day. And there was there was something going on with me, with my body on at, at Northeast Regionals for that first day, where all of the efforts, all of the work, you know, all of the races, my body just hurt i mean i don't know what was going on it was just um you know that the the uh the pain level um that i had to deal with when i was doing the mass starts was um was uh, was unusual (laughs) let's put that way it got better for the next day I felt a little better and I don't know if it was related to my my some of my heart issues that we'll talk about later um but that was in my mind when I started on the 2k for nationals and I started feeling like um you know I'm not going fast enough and I'm and I'm feeling uh, that level of, of higher level of, of pain because, you know, maybe I'm re-experiencing what I had in, uh, at, at, Northeast regionals. So I kept thinking, I have to go faster. I have to go faster. And, and thinking We're I'm not faster. going fast <laughs> en- and I'm not going fast enough. So, um, so it was, it was basically an all out every lap as hard as I could, um the pain threshold was was pretty high and i you know i kept thinking paula's right behind me paula's right behind me and when i got done i had uh, a new personal record i had beat my last record by 4 seconds which doesn't sound like a lot but in a 2k that's that's incredible so um so yes it's uh You know, I guess it goes to, um, you know, there's the physical side, but there's also the mental side that really can can push you through some of these things and obviously my adrenaline was going too, and that helps but uh, yeah that was that was pretty awesome that was a, a I couldn't have asked for a better way to start nationals.
0: Yeah, I, it, that was super fun to watch. I mean, again, I just remember Kim's face, like her eyebrows were like up to her hairline. She
1: <laughs>
0: just smashed it. And yeah, you don't
1: have... you don't get that from Kim very often. So
0: No, well that's it. I think that's why it stood out so much, was because she was just like, dang. And that was so <laughs> cool, right? Like that was that was, I mean, because again, more and I could see it. Like we could, we, you know, and we're not your coach, we don't know your times, we don't know. That level of your of your output, right? And then, but we could see it. We could tell you were going good, and then I, you know, obviously, like I said, we had live timing, so we knew where you were against the competition. Like we knew every, you know, we know all that stuff, and. But like to see Kim's face, we we knew that you'd done something special. So that was super fun for us to watch because obviously we were cheering for you. Um, <laughs> not that we're biased. We're not supposed to be biased as promoters. But like I said, we're friends. So, yeah. uh, so we knew and it was super fun to watch. Um, you mentioned something in your description of that event, um, besides the fact that you were able to push through. Uh, some pretty intense pain, and obviously some nerves as well, which is, uh, you know, that's the, when the nerves are the good motivation, right? The oh, Paul is right behind me. That's a that's an important thing as an athlete to be able to manage. But um, you mentioned your heart issues, and again, for our listeners who don't know, you and I rode together a whole lot. We were we were frequently. Uh, riding and training together on the road, which uh, I also miss. Um, so come out to California and visit and do some road riding. Um, you know, we rode a lot on the road and and we both wear a whoop. Um, you know, uh, so I think we both kind of analyze that, that sort of fleet data, recovery data. Um, And you were starting to notice things last year in your HRV. Uh, Oh, we were talking about our HRV. My HRV is very low and your HRV was very high. And I was like, oh, I'm not fit. And, And you had this incredibly high HRV number and, and, um, but you were noticing some strange things and when we talk about this we were out riding and 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 chat about it and you know like i said like you said earlier you're very data driven right you you analyze your data um and you were having some some weird cardiac uh responses in your whoop data and that corresponded to some sensations after you would do certain types of rides so tell us about that tell us about what you started to see tell us about what you started to feel
1: yeah so uh so it actually i uh, the first event um started i think it's september of 2019 actually you know pre covid just just before covid started and uh and then i think i had another um episode in uh, two in December, and then as time went on, I started to see them more frequently and what would happen is, you know, the whoop um, uh, measures a number of different things, you know it measures your your sleep, it also measures something called your HRV, which is your heart rate variability. And the theory behind that is, you know, the higher your heart rate variability, um, the more your body is prepared to take on a higher strain and, and do more work. And they, you know, at, at every morning they give you a recovery number based on, uh, all of your data. And and it includes your, your HRV, your heart rate variability. And normally, um, you know, it, my, my hrv would be you know maybe in the 40s 40 50 sometimes maybe up to 80 at the most uh, during that time and and what i started to see was um, uh, there were uh, a, a couple of instances where the hrv was at abnormal levels it would be like 160 170 and it would tell me that um, that i had zero RAM and zero uh, deep sleep. Um, I had no, you know, these are the things that they measure. Um, I had no, uh, disturbances during the night, which is very odd for me. Cause I, you know, I'm like moving around. Normally I have like, uh, uh 12 to 17 disturbances, you know, I'm, I'm, in that, uh, phase where I still get hot flashes and I still have to get up and go to the bathroom all the time. So, um, so I get these very strange readings and at first, you know, I just figured it was something, you know, I, my loop had been off or, you know, I was getting a weird reading and then I started to uh, experience some symptoms with along with those episodes and they would they would start to um, occur more frequently and I would feel uh, some, I would feel like I had a little too much coffee to drink, I'd be a little on edge, my heart rate would be a little bit elevated, but, um, you know, my resting heart rate, but it, it it would just feel weird. And so I started talking to, um, well, first I reached out to the WHOOP folks. And the first thing they came back with was, oh, um, your data integrity is not good. You need to start wearing your... They they obviously assumed that I was having bad data, that it wasn't for real. Right. And so they actually had me move my loop strap from my wrist up to an armband um, further up on my arm uh, to get better data integrity, which which it did help from that standpoint. But I was still getting those readings. Um, and uh, so I started talking to my primary care physician about that, who who happened to be yours as well. Thank you for, for the referral. Um and Dr. Allison uh, started to, to work with me on that. And, you know, she didn't know what it was. Uh, she sent me to a cardiologist. We had an EKG, an echocardiogram. Everything was fine. Uh, and, of course, because my heart rate wasn't going, you know, when I would have these episodes, I didn't have heart rates over 100 um, beats per minute. And that there wasn't anything that uh uh, set off the the red flag for the cardiologist so he was just kind of like you know I don't know <laughs> and so um but they kept occurring and they started occurring more frequently as the season went on um you know and we went into 2021 um you know and uh uh basically um we uh uh you know, as we came into regionals and then nationals, um, I started having more and more of those more frequently. I was experiencing shortness of breath uh, when they would occur. Um, I had one time, you, you may recall, where we were doing a, a Saturday Masters in rookies and Rookies and an event had started, I started to feel that in the morning. And when I arrived, we did the the first race, it was usually three, uh, in the series every saturday and i did the first rate race and i did not feel good and so i said okay <laughs> i'm done i'm gonna stop and uh you know i remember i came over to you guys and i sat and we we chatted for the rest of the race and then i went home um but uh, uh right before nationals uh that sunday i had an event. Um, into Monday and so I had another high HRV number on my whoop that that Monday morning so I called my primary um, couldn't get in that day we got in the next day because I wanted to make sure that you know going to nationals that I was going to be okay because it it by then I was having them every couple of weeks Uh, I was experiencing more uh, shortness of breath and a little bit of dizziness when I would stand up uh, and she checked me out, you know, said, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go for nationals. But uh, she ordered a Holter monitor for me um, uh, to, to get on and, and after nationals. And then we were going to try and see what um, what this was. So I waited um, until I had an event. And, you know, we did a ride uh, and I knew that sometimes if we if I did a longer ride, like a three hour or so ride, um, that would sometimes trigger an event and it would usually start a couple hours after we would, you know, I would do something like that. Or if I had a double race, you know, that definitely did double crits or something like that, that, that could trigger it. Um, and, and lo and behold, it was, uh, October. We did a ride. You and I did a ride and, uh, later that evening, uh, it started to come on. So I called, got, got in and got the holter monitor and that's how we determined that i was having uh what they call paradoxal afib uh, or it's periodic afib and um after doing some research and and that it's it's really uh, they don't know exactly why it happens in athletes but they think it's related to the fact that um endurance athletes like ourselves you know who do high intensity who do longer um you know when we work out on the bike you know it's It's at least an hour or longer, um, and that changes the heart uh, over time. And it, uh, uh, you know, and I have, and they determined this when they did the echocardiogram, I have what they call an athlete's uh, heart. It's a condition. It's actually a condition. And um, your left aorta gets enlarged as a result of all of the exercise that we do and the endurance work that we do. Um, and what they believe is that it, it also stiffens that part of the heart um, so you lose some flexibility there and uh, it you also um, strengthen your parasympathetic side of your nervous system uh the vagus nerve and that has to do with um uh, uh, basically your resting you know your your resting activity and, and getting your heart to um uh, to reduce its its heart rate. Um, it also has to do with digestion. Uh, but when that becomes too strong, sometimes all of that together uh, can create um, a situation where your where your heart begins to uh to go into AFib and um and be, if you continue to let that happen and don't do anything about it, your heart that becomes more ingrained in your, you know, in, in your heart right. and, and can, uh, eventually become, uh, instead of, instead of periodic, it can become permanent. It can become continuous, I should say. Uh, and then it's much harder to treat. So, um, it, it doesn't feel good when you're going through it. Uh, it, you know, the, the danger is, uh, uh, blood clots and stroke and heart attacks um, when you're in when you're in AFib and the other thing I've discovered through research and talking to my doctor um, is that uh, there's there's um, sort of like a U shape as far as the the risk factor. So on the on one side there is um, the uh, uh, let's say the the uh, person who doesn't exercise who's sedentary, who's overweight, uh, who whose lifestyle and, and health issues um, create a situation where where it's very common to have an AFib. And AFib is is actually a very common occurrence in in the population. Um, And then you have those in the middle at the bottom of the curve, the risk curve, uh, who are who exercise moderately who live healthy lifestyles, and they have the lowest risk of occurring, uh, having AFib. Um, And then you have those of us who are on the endurance side, uh, who do this kind of, um, uh, you know, work and activity. And on that side of the equation, we have an increased uh, probability of developing AFib. I think it's like two to 10 times is what I've read in some of the, the reports. And, um, so, you know, it, but it says it's, it's, um, from a different reason, you know, they don't know exactly why it happens in athletes, just that, you know, they, they do, um, attribute it to the fact that our, our hearts change and that, uh, it adapts and that adaption, uh, can lead to some of these issues.
0: Which, which is sort of terrifying to contemplate, right? We think by training, <laughs> we're doing, doing good things for our body and, and, and we are, but let's say broadly speaking, we are by, by training and by staying fit, we are doing good things for our body. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it is interesting that this is the, uh, an, a potential adaptation as well, where you're almost overtraining your heart, right? It's it's just like overtraining for any other muscle group. You can you it is possible, I guess, to overtrain your heart. And and what I thought was so interesting about you, Joanne, and you may not know the answer to this, but I've known a fair number of male athletes for whom this has been an issue. Um obviously I've been in this sport a very long time. And so you 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 start to know more and more male athletes for whom this has become an issue or you have coaching friends who who have, uh, who have athletes going through it. So, you know, there's own awareness that this exists, but I, you're the first female I know who've had, who's had it. Um, and I think, you know, truly that shouldn't actually be surprising, um, because we're the first, I think, you know, real title nine generation of athletes at, at our age, right. That have, you know, really been in competitive sport now through the full life cycle of competitive sport, right? Like before us, there wasn't a real body of, of women athletes who were benefiting from title line. So there wasn't mass of women participating in sport. Um, and, you know, still the numbers in, in women's track cycling are are lower. Women's cycling in general are racing, not riding, the zillions of women ride bikes, but in racing and training, the numbers of women are still smaller than men. But I think as those numbers start to come up with the younger athletes, you know, athletes more as age, for example, I wonder if we're not going to start seeing that, that equalization of, of, of athletes as they reach, you know, our age where this is, is more commonly occurring in women than than it is right now. But um, did you, in your research, have any sense of, of, you know male versus female athletes uh, this occurring uh, or or did that something that wasn't even occurring to you i just know it stood out to me because of the sheer number of male athletes i know experienced this right and i
1: i did look i did look for data Um, you know, as you know, I'm data driven, (laughs) I'm, I'm out, I was out looking and I still am out looking for, um, for some more data, uh, but around women, the, the data, you know, as usual is, is limited. Um, and, and, uh, the one study that I did find that did, that mentioned women, the, the, um, uh, implied that the risk factor for women, uh, you know, endurance athletes was, was less was lower they didn't see that in you know as they saw in men but when you looked when you read through the report in in more detail uh they did acknowledge that the women were not doing this that they studied were not doing the same intensity of workouts that the men were so so that they they don't have the data um on women and i think it's you know it's it's Probably because for two reasons. One is, you know, medicine tends to focus on um uh, the bigger population, the male population, white males, and and not on some of the rest of the population. But also I think you're right, there's there's just less women doing what we do. Um, but I've I've uh you know, so so um as I, you know, uh, um just going a little bit further, and, and maybe you were going to get to this, but in order to treat this, you know, I decided to. to um, uh, there's two two options. Well, there's three options. One is you can not do anything, which isn't going to lead to a good outcome. As I said, it can become uh, continuous, and then it becomes very much more difficult to treat. Um, uh, the then there's two other options. One is medication, drugs. To control the AFib, and they call that a pill in the pocket, where when you that's feel right. it coming on, you you right. um you take a pill. Uh, you know, and I think that's one application. I don't yeah, know if yeah, there's I others, but I uh the, is, the medication uh, can so impact, do does have side effects, can impact your performance, and over time can stop working. So you have to right, well, let me switch you it. Um you know, so the control you know, isn't isn't. know there's some issues there and i think there are some medications that are banned by um you know for athletes uh so that could be an issue as well you know or the other option is to go for ablation surgery and and that's what you know i'd say the majority of serious athletes tend to do because it you know it's it's more of a a way of fixing the problem um it can take several surgeries to uh, completely eliminate it but um you know i i've had surgery in, at the end of 90 january, 90. january now for uh the ablation um and and now i'm going through the recovery so i'm trying to find now i'm reaching out to athletes and trying to find athletes that i can talk right. to um okay. to understand so, their so recovery so experience so, uh, because i'm having some strange things that my you know my uh um, right. uh, well, then we'll uh, my concerned. doctor, um, my surgeon doesn't quite understand. So, uh, so I actually out there and, uh, you know, if, um, if anybody, uh, wants, is, wants yeah. to reach out to me and share their experience, I would, I would love to hear from them and understand what, uh, what their recovery, good. uh, looked yeah. like and what they experienced yes. with regard to, you know, with uh, their heartbeat and, um, right. getting back to training.
0: Yeah. So on that note, if you're listening to this and you have been through the ablation surgery and experienced the same things that Joanne has experienced, uh, we can get you in touch with Joanne. We won't put her contact information in the show notes just because that's probably not smart, <laughs> um, but we can get you connected and uh, yeah, help help Joanne out if you can, because, uh, you know, again, there's, particularly for women, there's not a lot of uh, data on this topic and and you know i almost wonder is the the issues you're seeing in recovery is it you know different for men and women how we recover from these surgeries mm-hmm. that is very often the case right and so um, if you're a male who's experienced this please reach out we'll get you in touch with joanne help her help her solve her mystery uh, but but so joanne i think one of the things you told me and I, correct correct me if i'm wrong is that you can't get your hel- your heart rate elevated now right you're you're experiencing an inability right. to Ill- elevate your heart rate Um, Right.
1: So, um, so they, uh, the doctor says that, uh, it takes about three months for the heart to heal after the surgery. So I'm still in that, that three month period I'm getting towards the end of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it does because it's dealing with the, you know, the parasympathetic side and that's what they're, they're, um, impacting when they do the ablation, your resting heart rate goes up and that was expected. So I'm, my resting heart rate is about, you know, 10, 10 or so beats uh, per minute higher than it was before. And I've been told by my doctor that that's, that's going to be permanent. And that was expected. Uh, But on the high end, when I do my workouts, I'm seeing uh, heartbeats about 10 to uh, about 15, uh, to 20 beats lower than i would normally see uh for different kinds of efforts and um and you know my max i haven't been able to get uh any closer than 20 beats uh lower than my max heart rate was before the surgery so i don't know if that's you know because i'm still in the the healing phase or if it is um you know if we did do some, Uh, a little bit of damage to what they call the sympathetic side, which is the the fight or flight side of your nervous system. So that that's your higher end. Um, And but my doctor described to me is is that those those nerves are more on the outside of the heart. Uh, And so he said if we did do any any impact to that, he he expects that um, uh, in theory um, that could come back and that uh, uh, that, you know, if we did um, damage some of that nerve uh nerve um, uh network that uh that it would grow back. Um so we'll see and I I, I have found one posting out on internet from 2009 of somebody a male uh, uh long distance runner who was 6 weeks into his um after his ablation surgery who was seeing the same thing. So uh but I've talked to uh communicated with somebody locally here who had the surgery back in 2000 end of 2016 who did who did not see this so um, i think it's it's you know your every every uh body is different every uh body recovers differently um and you know so i think there will be some differences but uh you know but i'm interested in understanding uh you know what other people's experiences have been. Um, and, and and along with that, you know, I did I wound up um, being referred to somebody else locally who had some heart issues, uh, not the same as mine, but also was related to uh, the athletic um, uh, activity and and he had the same, issue that uh, uh, Dr. Neal had, you know, you had Dr. Neal on, on a while ago, um, and he had the uh, ARVC, which, which deals with the right ventricle. And that is, um, you know, so after talking to him, I went out and and looked on that. And that also is caused by, you know, the extreme um, athlete activities that we do um so i think that the message is that you need to you know as athletes we need to pay attention to that um you know i certainly took me a while to to figure out what was going on with with me uh, athletes present our you know our symptoms present different from the regular population so you need to you, you need to not give up when you're starting to feel things that don't feel right and um uh and find a doctor, um, you know, don't, don't um, uh, you know, take your own advocacy and, and find a doctor who will work with you and, and figure out what's going on, um, you know, I think is, is uh, the message there. That, um, you know, we certainly, you know, do these activities because we feel good. You know, we feel strong and we and we enjoy the competition. Um, But you have to also understand that you're you're doing things to your body that that are changing things. And um, when things don't feel good, you need to you need to check that out.
0: Yeah, I I do think it's super interesting that there was a corollary. You know, you were able to identify this issue in your data well before. You started experiencing like a really regular cadence of the episodes. I think that's fascinating, and I think our ability now in this day and age to to detect stuff, um, maybe before it becomes too episodic or becomes too acute in our data is fascinating. That's probably a whole we, we should probably have the Whoop guys on <laughs> yeah. to talk about that because I think it's it's absolutely fascinating that you know you're able to see these these trend lines developing in your data or abnormalities in your data. And, and I know at one point you did like show your, your doctors, like, look, I, I can show you in my data that there's a thing happening here. I don't know what the thing is, but there's a thing happening here. I, I think that's, that's super fascinating, but, um, not that not that we're doing advertisement for Whoop, but I, I do think it's super interesting. And there's a whole lot of devices that track, track HRV now. But um, I, I do think it's super interesting that that is something that may make an argument for data monitoring. You know, you know even if you're even if you're not an elite athlete, there's certainly a, a reason for data monitoring that that we may, you know, benefit from. Um, but going back to you and where you are right now, so you can't get your heart rate up. Like let's just make up a number. Let's say your your previous max heart it was 170. I don't know what it was, but 170 seems like a nice number to play with. And now you're you're really capped at 150. Um, is that and that's that's sort of your body's cap. Your body's saying I don't want to go above 150. Um, is that doing a hard effort? And so are do you feel a? Is it that your heart rate just won't go higher? Or is it having an impact on your ability to make the hard efforts, right? Because you can make a hard effort and just maybe your heart doesn't respond um, at the same way that you're used to it responding. Or is it actually having a repressive ability, you know, um, impact on your ability to go hard? Um, I, I find it interesting, particularly in the track realm, because So many of the efforts that are done on the track are short that there isn't even, at least in my experience, for doing short hard efforts, there isn't even a time for your heart rate to respond. The efforts are like there's a lag, right, in your heart rate response to to a hard effort. So, how is that impacting your training right now? How is it impacting your efforts? Are you even allowed to train in this three three month window post operative that that you're able to do? So how's that 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 difference in heart rate? impacting your your day to day like how is it impacting your your bike time right now is, does it just make you feel like you can't go hard like tell us more about that or is it just a numbers thing
1: yeah so um uh you know for for the average person Person after you have the ablation surgery, they tell you not to take it easy for a week after the surgery. Um, And and, you know, as an engineer, I could I could take us down a whole other um, avenue of uh, the the medicine and how they do that. I mean, the 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 um, the medical profession and and uh, you know how they do this um, surgery. You know, without big incisions and, you know, I don't know what the right word is, if it's arthroscopically or whatever, but, you know, it's just, it's really cool. Um, so the, uh, you know, the impact on your, on your body and your recovery is, uh, from the outside is pretty easy. Um, obviously, uh, it's inside and it's inside your heart where they do the ablation. Basically, um, they're, they're, um, they're killing off parts of your heart, you know, in these nerve endings that uh, that are causing the ablation. Um, and they're around uh, four main veins that come into um, into your heart is where they they focus the ablation, and they do it around it, and they basically are killing that and creating scar tissue, so that those nerves are are. You know, are, are um, not not able to then uh, uh, cause the the ablation, and then they also try to stimulate uh, the heart to go into AFib while you're, you know, while you're um, uh, in in the surgery, so that they can see if there's any other areas that um, that they need to uh, to treat. Um, so, you know, when you come out of it um you know this was this this was a new experience for me I'd never been in the hospital I'd never had surgery all my life you know I'm 60 years old uh and so I feel very lucky that that's been the case but so this was a whole new experience um but it really uh it was uh you know as far as a surgery um it's uh uh it was a lot easier than I thought. Let's put it that way. So you come out. Um, yeah, you, you, you feel a bit beat up. Uh, but after a week, you know, they let you start to go back to normal activities uh, for me, because, you know, my normal activity is different from other folks. You know, and, and I talked to my doctor about that. He wanted me to he said, you can start. Uh, doing some workouts that second week but you need to lower the intensity so i worked with with kim on that and and she set my my schedule for that second week and then after that um, i could go back to my normal activities but he you know a doctor did say that um i was going to feel beat up and i might not feel up to uh, you know, doing the same level that I was doing before, as I get, get back into things. Um, and it didn't, you know, when I was doing the, the sort of the, the, uh, threshold or, or tempo level efforts, I felt fine. I actually felt pretty good. Um, and it wasn't until we started doing some of the anaerobic threshold level activities, you know, in, in intervals that I started to feel, um, initially I would it it would take me a little bit longer to warm up so and it was more around my my breathing if I did an effort, I would feel short of breath. uh, Early on until my body um, warmed up and then when I would do the anaerobic threshold uh, efforts. um, It it, I, I would. I could do them for a short period of time. So my, you know, my power was there, but the endurance wasn't there. So it was, it was like my aerobic side of the equation um, just was is is feeling a bit compromised on the on the high end. And one of the other the other athlete that I spoke to uh, locally who had the ablation surgery um, indicated that he he also experienced that that the high end um, was a bit compromised when, when he started coming back and actually the scary part was it, it's, it's been five years, I think for him. And he says now he's only finally starting to feel like he's firing on all cylinders. So it's taken him a lot longer, uh, than I hope it's going to take me to come, you know, to get that back. So that's the, you know, that's the other reason. I think, um, you know, like I said, everybody is different and, and I'm, you know I'm interested in hearing more more data and more feedback from others who have who have done this and what their experience was.
0: Right. Yeah, like you said, very individualized re- response, recovery time, every everybody is different, but I'm sure there would be an emerging pattern of of you know post-operative feedback where you could, you know, get a general sense of a range at least, you know. Oh, I was right back to normal. Oh, it took me, <laughs> yeah, it took, me, it took me a bit. Um, but you're back to training at least somewhat, right? You're back, you're back, uh, hopeful that as time passes, things will continue to improve. Um, you certainly look the picture of health here on our zoom call today. Um, if other people are experiencing, uh, similar sensations, um, what is your, your best advice to them? You know, is it collect data, then go to the, to the medical professional? Is it go right away? What, you know, Hey, I, I've been experiencing this. I know that athletes ha- can be prone to this. You know, uh, when I was going through my completely different issue, mm-hmm. right. Medical, when I was going through the iliac artery issues that I was having um, until I found a real specialist in the area of, Iliac artery endofibrosis for athletes because every cardiac surgeon or vascular surgeon has done iliac artery work on people with, like you said, the first the first part of the U curve the, right. the, the unhealthy population um, they all do that surgery. They never diagnose it in athletes because there's such a like they look at the CAT scan of your vascular system and they say you've got the the cardiovascular system of a 15 year old. You're like yeah, but I'm having these issues. Um, and I wonder if it's not the same with this with this apib stuff, right where the bulk of the the cardiac people probably don't see the athletic population. Um, so uh, you know, I wonder if there's things that you would advise people if they're referred to to a cardiac um, doctor to 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 bring to their attention to to flag up as research that says, hey, look, this is a thing in athletes. Um, because I think, again, a lot of the medical professional is it, they're not used to seeing athletes. Um, and so the tendency is to say, you're a perfectly healthy person. You don't have this. Um, what would you tell folks who, who think they're experiencing something similar or just so that they have this planted in seeds of their mind somewhere if, if it develops further down the line?
1: Um, yeah, I guess, you know, you know, one, one of the things that I what, you know, when I was trying to figure out what was going on with me, you know, after I spoke to the cardiologist, um, the, the first person that I saw, um, you know, and he said, oh, well, you know, are you experiencing, uh, you know, resting heart rates above hundred? And I'm like, no, um, you know, so, so the things that they look for in the average person, uh, are, you know, not necessarily applicable to the athletes. And even though he was supposed to be somebody who worked with athletes, uh, he wasn't, (laughs) he wasn't, I don't think it was the same level of athletes as, you know, some of the things that we do. Um, So I started to think, well, maybe it was, you know, because of maybe it was related to the fact that, you know, I was, welling to menopause and maybe there were some you know some issues there so I started looking down that avenue. Um but I think uh you know as time went on I started to realize that you know I was I was having additional symptoms um and and then continued to to talk to my my primary care physician. I think um you know having you know, having a good primary care physician who is willing to work with you uh, and continue to um, you know, when you're not getting a diagnosis, you know, that is telling you what this is, um, that you know, that you can work with, you need somebody that you can work with that uh, you know, to help you um figure out what's going on with you. And and the thing that I, you know, I was telling like, talking to other um, people about this, but, you know, I didn't, uh, for some reason, I didn't run across anybody who had had, uh, the periodic AFib and, um, you know, I didn't really, uh, you know, maybe if I had, had explored that more, maybe I would have come to this realization sooner. You know, I was kind of surprised after I figured out what it, what it was. And we were talking that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, you had, um, Uh, you know, heard from, I think, from your coach that, uh, you know, that he had a lot, he had a bunch of athletes that had gone through this. Um, And, uh, you know, so, you know, but I'm not sure if I had known that would I would have, would I put two and two together? That's what was happening to me. I don't know. Um, But I think the best thing, you know, the best advice is really listen to your body. Um, You know, when people tell you that, when doctors tell you that it's nothing to worry about, but you're not feeling good when, when it's happening, you know, that it's not good. Um, you need to, you need to listen to your body and you need to keep exploring and try and figure out what it is um, because uh, you know, cause we are, you know, as athletes, they, you know, we're not the average American. We're not the average person going into the doctor and uh, um, you know, you, you need to be an advocate for yourself and, continue to look for answers.
0: And I think you you nailed something right there too is is like I, I think we do know our bodies right we know we know what it feels like I, I think it, because we use them so much right we use the bodies we inhabit so much that we, I think we also know when we're off and that's a that's a strong message to pay attention to in yourself right like I knew something was incredibly wrong with my legs you knew you were having episodes people may say but you present as a perfectly healthy person but we know because we know what it feels like when things are working properly um we need to listen to that instinct we need to pay attention to to that messaging that we're getting that feedback that we're getting because you know i think we are very in tune with our bodies as athletes and that's a message we should not try to tune out then <laughs> like, like, like actually listen to the feedback that our bodies are giving us. We're really good at ignoring messages from our bodies, right? Yeah. That's what enables us to do what we do. Like you said in the, about your, your pursuit, right? You were able to push past this feeling of be feeling terrible because that's what we do as athletes. Um, and there's a time when you need to push past feeling terrible because it's race day and you're doing, you know, an effort that is, unpleasant uh in in your race but then there's a time that we really do need to listen to that feedback that we're getting from our bodies and and then like you just said advocate when we know when we know we're off we need to keep fighting that fight to get the best treatment that we that we can and not just be poo-poo into saying no no, you're fine I'm not fine you were clearly not fine I was clearly not fine Um, and now we're both in a better place hopefully um absolutely so I don't, I don't want to keep you all Saturday, but cause I could yak with you forever. Cause we're friends. Um, so you're going to be back on track this summer or is it still a TBD? I, 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 I one thing you said that did leap out at me was, you know, the doctor telling you to take it easy at first. Right. I love that because that was the feedback I was giving to oh, Well, you know, you have to wait six weeks, to get back on the bike in my personal case. Um, and then when you come back, you have to take it easy. I'm like, Define take it easy. <laughs> That's a very loose parameter for, you know, take it easy for one is not another. Um, so are, are you past the take it easy and are you going to be able to start racing and jumping in with the women's Wednesdays or is that, are you going to play that how you're feeling and how you're responding? Uh, what, where, where are you right now in your 2022 season? And is it sort of like a, let's wait and see another month and see how the recovery goes or are you are you planning on jumping into women's wednesdays and saturdays and and going from there
1: yeah so um yeah so, so you know what i would as you know na- um masters nationals uh was announced a couple weeks ago and is going to be in indianapolis in the middle of june uh and that that um, was a little bit of a shock to me because I wanted definitely more time to recover before uh, I had to think about uh, Masters Nationals. Um, so, so I had to do some soul searching on that. Um, and what I what I decided uh, with you know and, and had communicated with with Kim is that um, I'm going to leave that option open. I'm going to see, you know, we're going to train as if I'm doing, going to do nationals and then I'll see as I get closer um, where I am on my recovery and uh, and how I'm feeling. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, if I'm not feeling well and I'm not uh, enjoying, you know, uh, you know, things on when I'm doing the high end efforts. Uh, you know, then I, I may not participate, but um, even, even without that, I was, you know, I'm still training at my regular level. I, um, you know, we're uh, not necessarily, um, you know, I've asked him to take the anaerobic thresholds out of my program for a little bit uh, because they're just not fun, mentally or physically right now for me. Um, but I'm going to start going back to uh, to racing um, as the races start this, this coming month, or this month, I guess we're in April now. Um, and uh, uh, the Thursday night training crits are going to be starting next week. So I'm going to start doing those. I'm going to see what, you know, see where I am. That's going to be um, kind of a test for me uh, you know, to see, and, and I'll be gauging that, you know, as, as we get into race season. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mentally I'm prepared for the fact that I may not, I may not be where I was, you know, would, would have expected to be at this time last year, uh, with racing this time of year. Um, and I may have to deal with that, but, uh, you know, the best, the best way to, See where I am is really to get out there and and to do it and you know and that's what I love you know I love the community I love the competition um, you know I you know as, as uh, in, you know as, as um, you know as Kim Kim stated in her uh, her acceptance speech um, at the Velodrome uh, you know you lose more than you win um, and I find that every time I lose I learn something uh you know and, and uh and i still enjoy the competition you know that's what that's what this is all about that's what the fun is all about um and being out there with people um you know at some point i may have to be on the sideline but uh for now i want to participate
0: not yet yes not yet cool well joanne thank you for coming on the podcast i think it's a uh... It's a really interesting topic. It's one that, you know, as, as we have more athletes in the master's population, it's one really paying worth paying attention to. Um, and I'm sure somebody listening to this podcast will benefit from your sharing of your experience. And just one more time for our listeners, if you have been through this yourself, um, and you're willing to chat with Joanne about your experience so that she can start plotting out more data points on her charts. Um, please, please get in touch with us, um, at the podcast and we will connect you with Joanne so that you can share your experience, um, so that other athletes might potentially benefit from y'all's experience as well. Um, Joanne, thank you so much for giving of your Saturday to be with us on the pod. And of course I can't wait for you to come visit and ride bikes. Um, and, uh, (laughs)
1: me either i'm am, i'm am, you know i see your pictures on instagram and that uh you know the sunrise and the sunset uh, i so want to be there
0: yeah there's one ride i do here i'm not gonna lie the descent is like got joanne tributton <laughs> of so over. so for our listeners i love going uphill and i really hate going downhill um joanne goes downhill like a bowling ball right like she's a tiny little human who goes downhill so fast and um there's a descent here that every time I go down it, I'm just like, I think Joanne would get down this descent 10 minutes faster than me. Like, <laughs> it's a long descent. It's a 40 minute descent. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, if I'm doing it in 40 minutes. Joanne would do it like, 30 or 25 like because I just it's perfect pavement it's long it's windy it's you know and I always think this is a Joanne descent so um you'll have to come out and I'll take you on the take you on the ride because yeah I literally every time I do that that descent I think oh god Joanne would go down this so much faster than me (laughs) so what's
1: what's great about us riding together is we always challenge each other so you know i'm always chasing you on on the upside and you're always chasing me on the downside so we're we're very well matched that way
0: yeah so you have to come out and i'll I'll take you on that ride and (laughs) we'll have some fun because i miss my riding buddy um but for now, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll say this has been the Talk of the Tea Town podcast with our fantastic guest, Joanne Trimpey. Thank you for listening. And if you could, please leave us the positive reviews, the likes, the shares, all the things that help us grow the podcast and enable us to keep bringing it to you, our listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been the Talk of the Tea town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Head over to our website at thevelodrome.com where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.